Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be acceptable to you through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. So I direct your attention to the Gospel reading on page 10 of your bulletin. I'm just going to quickly read through that and make a few comments before we get into the sermon outline. So beginning at verse 29, and immediately, it's one of Mark's favorite words, immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. Now note, it doesn't say they asked him for healing. It says they told him, Jesus, about her. It's, it's almost as if they're too reluctant to come out and ask directly for what they need. They kind of take a roundabout way and make the need known. And they rely on Christ's compassion then to do what's necessary. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her, and she began to serve them. It's really a, a beautiful picture of what the Christian life is. The Lord lifts us up through the forgiveness of our sins and our adoption as children of God. And we respond in loving service to the people around us. That's the worship of God. Is God doesn't need what we have to give, but our neighbor does need what we have to give. Verse 32 that evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. So the Sabbath is now over, and work can once again resume, and people can be brought, the sick can be carried, and so on, to the healer. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. This is Capernaum. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases. Note, Jesus was no specialist. Okay, And he cast out many demons. That is to say, the people back then knew the difference between a disease and demonic possession. It's a very distinct difference. They were aware of that. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. They would proclaim him to be the Messiah, and that would feed into the expectations of a Messiah that the people had, a conquering king, and that's not the kind of Messiah that God had ordained or that the people really needed. So Jesus silences that talk. He will admit to being the Messiah when he's powerless, when he's about to be crucified. That's what will get him crucified. But that time's not yet, so we keep it secret. Verse 32, I'm sorry, verse 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. The interesting word in the Greek here for searched is a word that means to pursue someone, uh, to hunt someone down. It's, it's a word that's used often in the pursuit of an enemy. And the people, and Peter, are unwittingly, very innocently, they are becoming enemies of Christ's mission. They want him for their own purposes. Verse 37, And they found him and said to him, Everyone's looking for you. And he said to them, 
Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. So, Roman number one in your outline, page 11. Will success spoil Jesus? Now, this is Christ's first day on the job, first day of his public ministry, or it's just passed. And he's made quite an impression upon the people. And Jesus is no politician. You see, it's the job of a politician in this country to listen to the voice of the people and to respond. However, no one in office should put public opinion above principle. No one should put public opinion above God's clear word. That can happen. But Jesus will not let that happen. Jesus is no politician in the modern sense at all. Letter A, the factuality of Christ's miracles versus other reports of miracles in the ancient world. There were other reports of miracles in the ancient world, but those reports usually are accompanied with skepticism because people in the ancient world were not stupid. They knew that dead people don't rise. They knew that those suffering serious illness don't just get well because someone touched them. So, when we read of reports of miracles from the ancient world outside of the Bible, those reports are often cast in a rather skeptical way or a doubting way because the writer knew such things don't just happen. By contrast, when Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John report the miracles of Jesus, there is no skepticism about it. To the contrary, even Christ's opponents acknowledge his supernatural power. They say, well, he cast out demons by the prince of demons. In other words, his enemies acknowledge his miraculous power. They simply credit the devil with it, being the source of it. What we see in our gospel lesson for today is the result of Christ's first day on the job. After only one day of preaching and healing, Jesus is a wanted man. Not only are things going well from our perspective, but they're really going too well. His authority to heal has ignited a mass movement of people who want to benefit from his authority. When the people in Capernaum look at Jesus, they don't see the Savior, at least not yet. They see a healer. They see a gold-plated insurance plan and they would love to set him up as a practitioner in their hometown. Now Peter understands this, so he hunts Jesus down. Peter will not let this opportunity go to waste because he believes he knows what is best for Jesus and for the movement that has begun. Letter B. Peter seeks Jesus. Everyone is looking for you. Point number one. Crowds are not a sign of success in ministry. Crowds are not a sign of success. Enthusiasm is not to be confused with faith. Indeed, enthusiasm can oppose faith. In John chapter 2, we read that a crowd of people in Jerusalem 
believed in Jesus because they saw the miracles he had performed. But then we read, and this is what John reports, Jesus did not entrust himself to these people because he knew all men. Those people who seek him not out of repentance or desire to be forgiven are misguided. They seek healing from him and nothing more. They seek temporal benefit alone. And that is not faith. Not yet. Point number two. Seeking Jesus is not a virtue in Mark's gospel. It's not a virtue. In Mark chapter three, the Pharisees seek Jesus in order to seize him. I'm sorry, no, his family. I'm sorry, it's his family in Mark chapter 3. His family seeks after Jesus to seize him. They think he's out of his mind. In Mark chapter 8, the Pharisees seek Jesus. They are demanding signs from him, which means they're rejecting the signs he's already given. They want more. They're seeking him for that reason. In Mark chapter 12, the chief priests seek Jesus in order to arrest him, and later they seek him in order to trap him in his words. And then in Mark 14, the chief priests and others seek Jesus in order to kill him. So in Mark's gospel, when people seek Jesus, it's in an effort to control him in some way rather than to submit to him and to follow him. Too often, we seek Jesus on the basis of what we desire rather than on what he desires to give. Peter is saying to Jesus, Master, you have a base of support. Expand your base. Build your movement. You've got momentum. You've got these people eating out of your hand Just continue to give them what they want. They'll follow you anywhere. And recall what Jesus says to Peter in Mark 8. Get behind me, Satan. You have in mind the things of men and not the things of God. The chief apostle becomes Christ's chief antagonist. And I think all of us are susceptible to using Jesus in some way. He has authority, and we wish his authority to be employed in our own projects. So let her see. Over the years, I've heard people say things like, my God or my Jesus would never, and then you just fill in the blank. You know, my Jesus would never send anyone to hell. My Jesus would not cause anyone to suffer. My Jesus would not condemn any sexual activity between consenting adults, as if consent makes everything right. We will use Jesus to advance our own agendas. But God's agenda and Christ's agenda is proclamation. It is preaching. So, Roman numeral two, healed by Jesus, still die. They still die. Healing is at best a temporary solution to our real problem, which is death. For example, 
Microsoft Windows is the operating system for PCs or personal computers. And every version of Windows has what's called a life cycle. Windows 10 was launched July 29th, 2015. And updated versions of Windows 10 have come out since then. But on October 14th of 2025, Microsoft will no longer support Windows 10. Microsoft will no longer issue software updates and security updates for Windows 10 after that date. That's because they've come out with a new and improved version of Windows, that's Windows 11. Now my friends, God is doing something similar with you and with me. Although he continues to support your present body and mine, he will not support them forever. A day is coming when God will no longer support your current body because he's coming out with a new version of you. It's called resurrection. God's goal for you and for me and for all is resurrection. God will do more for you than adding a patch here or a patch there in order to keep this present frame going. His goal is an entirely new version of you no longer subject to weakness and death. But before your resurrection body can emerge, God must discontinue support for the current version of you, your current body. And that discontinuing of support leads to death. To use a clothing analogy, we must take off this old suit of clothes before we put on the new. Point number two, healing brings temporal blessings Preaching Christ brings eternal blessings. Healing brings temporal or temporary blessings. Christ and his preaching brings eternal blessings. Jesus said in John 5, Truly I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He's, he will not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Now, you know as well as I, God commands us to pray for both temporal and eternal blessings. But there is no question, it is the eternal blessings that God considers the most important, and so should we. Number three, Christ's healing work was less by design and more a compassionate response to need. Jesus responds to requests. He's compassionate. He's merciful. He is moved by our prayers. He heals in response to them. Scripture testifies to that. And our experience bears it out. Letter D. Nothing Jesus can do for you is more powerful or important than preaching. Nothing's more important than preaching. Jesus did not come to heal, although he does. He did not come as a social justice warrior, although he is the very embodiment of justice. In verse 38, Jesus says clearly that he came to preach. However, elsewhere, Jesus says he came for this purpose, to give his life as a ransom for many. So which is it? Did Jesus come to preach? Or did he come to die and rise? And the answer is both. At the cross, Christ accomplishes your salvation through his suffering and death. 
Your sin has been paid for. You are already forgiven. And through his resurrection, God declares you just. He declares you justified and righteous before God, now and always. But how does this salvation get delivered to where you're at now? How does this forgiveness earned at the cross reach you where you're at today? It's by preaching, by his word. That word is the word of the cross. St. Paul wrote, we preach Christ crucified. The content of Christ's preaching in our own is the cross. My friends, Christ could have died a hundred times for you on the cross, but it would do you no good unless someone preached it to you. St. Paul writes, how can they believe in him whom they've not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching? Faith comes by hearing the message. Physical healing is a great gift from God, and such gifts God often gives. Otherwise, many of us would not be here today. Physical healing is patching up a dying body. Preaching the cross prepares you for a new body. Physical healing may enable you to spend a few more precious months and years with your loved ones here, and we should all want that. But no physical healing will enable you to see them in heaven. Only preaching the cross does that. Physical healing cannot forgive your sins, but preaching the cross does. Both are gifts of God. But inasmuch as God esteems one higher than the other, so should we. Of all the things Jesus can do for you, nothing is more powerful, nothing more important than the preaching of his word. That is why he came. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus Christ.